to see, first of all, as we look through this, God is the one who initiates this whole project. It's not like the people have said, well, you know what, why don't we build a tent for God? You know, David did that, right? David was accumulating goods and material, and he said, I want to build a house for the Lord. And the the Lord came to him through the prophet and said, thus says the Lord, David, you're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you. To take it out of David's hands so that he could not say, ah, my hands have built this thing for God. Aren't I wonderful? This is a call that comes from God where he says to his people, I am going to place my dwelling among you. I'm going to place my dwelling among you. And so he says, I would like you to make contributions. Make contributions for the building of the Lord's tabernacle. This does not change, you know, right? If we have any inclination toward the church of the Lord, if we have any love for the church of the Lord, it's not because we're good people and we've generated that ourselves. God has done that in us. He has called us. He has... He has moved to initiate so that this thing, whatever it is, might be done. However large or however small, God has initiated this. And he hasn't set some sort of high goal other than this is a place where I'm going to put my name. Therefore, make it beautiful. That's that's the highest goal that's been set. He does say he does give a pattern for the tabernacle, and he does that for the purposes of communicating the nature of his holy work in the future. But that's a, that's a different sermon altogether. Look what takes place here. The command comes, whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. That's how this begins. Whoever is of a generous heart. And that's what God looks for us. He looks for joyful and cheerful hearts. He looks for generous hearts. This call to construct the tabernacle. After the Ten Commandments have been received. After the instruction has been received on the mountain. After the people had been confronted with the lightning and the cloud and the flames. Then the question became... Whoever is of a generous heart, let him come and make, come and and bring a contribution. I should pause here and back us up a little bit to the first four verses. Let me read to you the first four verses of this chapter. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days' work shall be done. But on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. You see how God starts this out? He starts out by reminding them, I have given you a Sabbath rest. They were slaves in Egypt. They had to work when their taskmasters demanded it. 
God calls his people to himself, and once he does, he says, rest. Rest in me. Rest in my goodness. Rest in my grace. You've got six days to do all that other work. You've got six days to do all those other things. Rest in me. And then he says, whoever has a joyful heart, whoever has a joyful heart, whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Let us always remember that whatever we do in the church and whatever we do for the Lord or even for one another in the Lord comes from a place of rest. No matter what good deeds we do to one another or with one another, it must come from a place of rest that God has redeemed us from having to work in order to please a task man. He's a loving God. Rest in the Lord. And then come work out of that rest. Rest in the Lord and come give out of that rest. That's the whole point of that passage. What is it the Lord looks for? Well, the Lord looks for gold, silver, and bronze. Well, those make sense. I mean, you've got to have precious metals in order to have a beautiful space of some kind. You want to be able to decorate it well. You want it to kind of glitter and, and glow because it belongs to the Lord, the living God. But then blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twined linens, those things are refined for curtains and tapestries and for clothing. That makes sense. Goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins. Does that do anything for you? That doesn't do anything for me. I'm not sure I would want my friend to show up on my doorstep with a bag of goat's hair. I don't, I don't know what I'd do with it. And yet God wants that. It seems so common. It seems so coarse. Why, what is this about? But you know what? Not everything that God asks of us is refined and expensive and glitzy. Sometimes he wants the common and the ordinary things from us. He wants us to come with a generous heart. That's what he asks. Acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, fragrant incense, onyx stones, stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate. Some of these things are ordinary, ordinary items. Acacia wood was picked up uh, wherever you could find wood in the desert. It was a sort of thing that people made storage boxes out of. It was the sort of thing that people made ordinary furniture items out of. It would be the equivalent of saying, well, show up with a bunch of pine boards and that's going to please the Lord. But yet that's what it is. It's common. It's ordinary. But when God calls for a contribution, he doesn't call for the best and the brightest and the most expensive. Sometimes what he calls for is the ordinary. But then, it's not only a call for materials. It's not only a call for stuff. It's a call for service. Let every skillful craftsman come and make all that the Lord has commanded. 
uh, skillful craftsmen who will make the tent and its covering, its hooks and frames and so on to make the furniture of the tabernacle in order to uh, make the incense and the fragrant oils and whatever is going to be used to, in order to make the oil that's going to be used for lamps. And so these craftsmen are called to come and bring their skill. We'll see later how that is fulfilled. But the plain and simple fact is there's a, there's a call for artistic skill, for creative designs and hammered precious metals. There's a call for craftsmanship from furniture makers and tent builders. And then there's a call for ordinary household skills, spinning, weaving, dyeing. And yet there's still some skill in that, isn't there? But they are skills that are supposed to be exercised and done for the Lord. That's what's called. Do you look at yourself and you say, you know, I don't have any flashy gift. What what am I going to do for Jesus? I can't stand up in front and talk to people. I'm not sure I really understand Bible study all that well. I try, but I'm not sure I understand Bible study all that well. You might be saying that about yourself, but that's not the question, is it? What skill do you have? What gift has been given to you? It might seem very ordinary and very non-special to you. That doesn't matter. God says, take this gift and this skill. Come, bring a cheerful heart. Do this thing. And we need to keep that in mind. For some of us, it's going to be artistry. For some of us, it's going to be craftsmanship. For some of us, it's going to be ordinary household skills. I know somebody who had the one gift that this one church needed, and that was to clean. And this person did it. They cleaned. They cleaned well. They cleaned nooks and crannies. They cleaned the sanctuary floor on their knees. But they loved it. That was their gift of beautifying. And it made the church beautiful. Not flashy. Not incredibly skillful in terms of creativity or furniture building. But what a blessing. What an incredible blessing. Uh, we got a work day coming up. Maybe your gift is power washing. <laughs> I don't know. Think about it. But you take the, there's a call to service. Every kind of creative service or every kind of uh, wholesome service to be devoted to the Lord. Now, there are very, various kinds of peoples who brought things that were suitable for, their, for their, um, uh, their station in life. The congregation of the people of Israel came, everyone whose heart stirred him, whose spirit moved him. They brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Some of them were large, some of them were small, but cumulatively they made up the wealth that became part of the tabernacle. Sometimes we say, I can't give a lot. Well, it's not about a lot, it's about faithful giving. And therefore to do it with a cheerful heart because cumulatively it makes for the wealth of God's, and the wealth and the beauty of God's house. 
In other cases, people brought yarn, fine linen. They brought goat hair. They responded to that request. They made contributions of acacia wood and oil. They made contributions out of the things that they would ordinarily find in their own household. They all had oil for lamps. Probably most of them had acacia furniture. So here we have nothing that was super spectacular in and of itself, but it fulfilled the call that the Lord issued. The leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod of the breastplate because the leaders had that kind of wealth available. They had those kinds of treasures available, and they said, these are the treasures that I can give to the Lord. So we see that they are of of a willing heart. Psalm 110, verses 2 and 3 says, Your people will be willing in the day of your power, O Lord. It's a beautiful picture of the work of the Lord working in the hearts of his people. He redeemed them, he blessed them, he gave them of himself, and they are giving back to him. They're giving back to him whatever it is they have and whatever it is that, they, they had, that uh, he had asked for. Some brought gold and silver, some brought the acacia wood, some brought the stones, the precious stones. Some brought dye of all things. But I don't mind telling you that in the ancient world, a purple dye was a very valuable thing. But they were moved to bring these gifts for the tabernacle as they had in their possession. And they did it with joy because now they were free of the idols and the slavery of Egypt. They did it because they were free of the idols and the slavery of Egypt. They who were once entrapped and had no way out of their slavery are now set free and with joy they come and they bring their gifts before the Lord. Lest we think that this applies only to the ancient church. Let me read to you from the book of Acts, chapter 4. From the book of Acts, chapter 4. This is after the Holy Spirit has been poured out. This is after the gospel has been preached. This is after the church grew by 3,000 people in a single day. Here's what the word of God says. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, there are limits to what that actually means, and I want to be careful here, not suggesting that we all sell whatever our land and houses are, but the fact is that there was this spirit of joy and generosity that was characteristic of the early church. And it continues to be a call to us. That's precisely what the purpose of this passage from 2 Corinthians was. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, 
their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. This picture that we have in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of the picture that we have in the New Testament. The calling of a people out of darkness and out of slavery into the openness of the light of God's freedom, the bestowal of God's favor by his presence, and the giving, the open-handed giving of the people in great joy because of the redemption which is now theirs. So much so that the people are told in verse, uh, chapter 36, verses uh, 5 and 6, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us. So Moses gave command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. We have enough. When's the last time we've heard that? And yet there's still a place for it in the church. We have enough. God provides abundantly through his people who have given themselves over to him. What an incredible passage. What an incredible passage to see the joy take root in the hearts of the people to where they said, we have everything we need because we have the living God. We'll give whatever you need to build a tabernacle for him to dwell among us. God still dwells among his people. He still dwells in our hearts. He still, we still meet in buildings. He still dwells among us. And therefore, is it possible that we can have hearts of joy that give openly and freely in this fashion? I will contend that by the power of the Holy Spirit, yes. Yes. I've seen it done over and again. I've even seen it here. Uh, I've seen it in other places. Yes. God can still do this. And so the call to us is to do this very thing. But this is where I have to mention tithing. Because not only were the people to give for the building of the tabernacle, they were called to give a tithe for the sustaining and maintaining of the work of the priesthood and the work of the, of the, of the tabernacle. God knows that in some cases we might give out of guilt or embarrassment or competition or self-honor or many other wrongful motives. And that's the warning that we have in, in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, who gave what they pretended was the total amount that they received for a piece of land, and they basically lied publicly for a show. We're warned against that. God owns it all, and he gives it to us freely in Christ. 
But the Lord also knows that we have a tendency to see money and goods as our security. And in fact, he is our security. God owns it all and has given all of it to us freely in Christ. But you see, the Lord asks of us a tithe. And in the Old Testament, a tithe was 10%. He says, I give this to you, and I want you to be stewards with it, and I want you to deal with it with joy. But I want 10%. I'd like you to return 10% as an act of faith, as an act of trust, as a token of the fact that you look to me for your security, and you look to me for your provision. Which is why Malachi says in 3.10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. That's what we see with this tabernacle. There was a pouring out of a blessing and there was no more need. The craftsmen said, Moses, make the people stop. We have plenty for what we need to do. God can do that through a tithe as well. Now, the interesting part about a tithe is that those who earn little are not expected to give less than 10%, and those who earn more are not expected to give more than 10%. God says a tithe. And that becomes the contribution to the Lord's work. Now, they may be, may be able to give more because they do give, but if they do give more, it's to be out of a heart of gratitude, not because they're going to earn special favor with God. And to not give God his portion is to assume that everything you have is yours. And for you, and to forget that what you have, you've been given. In fact, God says that to withhold the tithe is to steal from God, to be a robber. That's why he calls them robbers at the beginning of that, of that passage in, in uh, Malachi. The last piece here is that some of, some of those that God raises up are appointed to be, I, probably the best word I can give you is general contractors. They're skilled in all these different levels, and they can guide others in the work of building the tabernacle, and therefore they're given the leadership responsibility to oversee the work, and then to teach others to do it. Not only would those produce some of the artwork, they'd be responsible for instructing and guiding other artisans. Not a person was left out. All had a part in the construction of this tabernacle, whether it was through giving or through constructing or through, uh, through artistry or uh, hammering gold or whatever. But this is how the church of God works. This is how the church of God is blessed. And therefore, we look to the Lord with joyful hearts. Here's the result. If you you were able to turn over to chapter 40 in Exodus, you would see that as soon as the tabernacle was finished and dedicated, the presence of the Lord descended into the tabernacle, and there his name dwelt for the whole time that they had the tabernacle in the wilderness and in the Holy Land. That was the glory. The glory was God's presence. The glory and the desire and the longing was for God's presence, and God descended and dwelt among his people. 
when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we give with an open hand and we look to the Lord, he descends upon us in glory and in his presence and with his beauty, and his beauty rests upon us. So let me draw out a few summary lessons and I'll wrap this up. How has the Lord gifted you and skilled you? No gift or skill is too small. Nor is any gift or skill unneeded. Who would have guessed that a spinner of yarns would have a significant place in the glory of God's dwelling? And yet it happened, and it still happens. Another lesson is, do you have a willing heart to give to the Lord? Are you filled with joy and can you give to him freely and with delight? Can you make all of your giving a response of gratitude and joy, large or small? If you're not able to give a tithe, there's a little suggestion here from George Miller. George Miller, where's my bulletin? George Miller um, actually started several schools and he did it almost on a shoestring. Look at this quote by George Miller. Only fix even the smallest amount you purpose to give of your income and give this regularly. And as God is pleased to increase your light and grace and is pleased to prosper you more, so give more. If you neglect a habitual giving, a regular giving, a giving from principle and upon scriptural ground, and leave it only to feeling an impulse or particular arousing circumstances, you will certainly be a loser. When we give out of a discipline of obedience to the Lord, we're blessed with more joy. That's what Miller means there. Give of your first to the Lord, give yourself first to the Lord, then give your time, then give your goods. And then do this with a view to God's glory. As we do that, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, God will descend upon us and dwell among us and beautify us and glorify us and magnify his great name. What a fantastic passage. What a fantastic promise in this foreshadowing of what God would do among his people when he poured out his Holy Spirit on Pentecost and what he will still do today as we look to him in faith and respond in faith. Let's pray together.